Welcome once again to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy Podcast. This is episode two. We made it to episode two. Great job, everyone. This is a literacy podcast for all those, you know, teachers, scholars, students, really anyone interested in the field of literacy. This is a podcast for you. My name is Matt Sroka. I'm a former high school English teacher in Maryland. I'm currently a clinical assistant professor of literacy uh, here at Mercer University. I made the move to higher ed, mostly just for the longer title. Today, I'm excited. I'm joined by Dr. Jenny Theriot. I'm excited about our conversation about uh, reading complex texts and helpful ways to go about uh, both ourselves reading these complex texts, but more importantly, preparing our students to engage with some of the complex texts that they'll see in academia. But before we get there, a few things, just a few quick things to take care of here in the opening. Firstly, this is, uh, you know, as I said, our second episode, we're just getting off the ground here. Uh, I would ask and encourage you, if you like the podcast, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, to spread the word, tell your colleagues, go to iTunes and or wherever you listen to the pod and, uh, and write us a review um, that goes a long way to helping other people to find it. Um, go ahead and share on social media. Uh, and I would very much appreciate that. Speaking of social media, second quick thing here off the top of the show, uh, the International Literacy Association, which, you know, Journal of Adolescent Adult Literacy is a part of, uh, they're on LinkedIn. So um, there's a group called Literacy Teaching and Learning. I'll put a link to the group uh, in the show notes. So you can just click on that link to take you to LinkedIn. Sorry, that's a lot of uh, link talk right there. Uh, but but that's a great space to kind of carry on the conversations that we're starting here on the podcast. So if you're not a part of that group um, on LinkedIn, I would encourage you to, to go ahead and, and join that group and continue the conversation there. Uh, thirdly, I want to say this conversation that uh, we're having today with Dr. Jenny Therithaut, um this, this comes from an article she wrote called College Students, Conceptualizations of Academic Reading, What Metaphors Suggest About the Important Role of, of Purpose in College Reading and Learning. Uh, and, and though our conversation goes much beyond the specific article that she wrote and published in the Journal of Adolescent Literacy, um, the conversation kind of stemmed from that article, even though now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I've ever specifically mentioned that article during our conversation. That's probably a bad hosting on my part to not mention that article. Like, I'll work with that. It's episode two. I'll get better at that. Uh, but but you can find a link to that article. If you want to kind of learn more about what she's talking about, uh, what Jenny's talking about, you can find a link to that article um, that I published, again, in the in the show notes. And um, that, that article can be accessed for free by anyone. Um, I know some of the articles um, on the site are, are blocked or you have to have a subscription or, you know, subscribe to your university. But, but these articles... Um, articles on the podcast will be made available for a period of time for people to just to go on there and, and read them if you're interested in reading more about it. All right. With all that said, I want to now kind of transition to, um, I want to read Dr. Jenny Theriault's, um biography, um, a quick, her quick bio, um, because I think this really sets up a conversation. She has a lot of experience, both um, teaching at different grade levels and dealing with reading kind of at multiple stages of the reading process. Um, so let me start with her bio, and then we'll we'll get into the conversation. Dr. Jenny Therithaut began her career in education in 1997 after earning a bachelor's degree in elementary education from St. Norbert College in De Pere, Wisconsin. She then taught fourth, fifth, and four-five multi-age at the elementary level in Elgin, Illinois, while she completed a master's of arts in teaching from Aurora University. Dr. Therithaut later began working with adults teaching English as second language, adult basic education and GED courses, as well as teaching college student success courses and working as a writing tutor at the community college level. While working on a cer certificate of graduate studies in post-secondary developmental literacy and language instruction and a doctorate in curriculum instruction from Northern Illinois University, she taught college reading and study and study strategies courses there and college writing online through the University of Maryland Global Campus. As an assistant professor in the College of Education, Dr. Theriothaut joined the University of Finley in Finley, Ohio in 2021. 
There, she teaches courses at the undergraduate, master's, and doctoral levels, such as human growth and development, integrating reading assessments and instruction, research in the reading and inviting environments to facilitate the effective domain. Dr. Theriot also runs the University of Finley's Reading Clubhouse Center and serves on the dissertation committees. Dr. Theriot's research interests include college students' conceptualizations of academic reading, the transition from high school to college reading, and the notion of college reading readiness. She's a member of the College Reading and Learning Association, Literacy Research Association, American Education Research Association, and the American Association of Colleges for Teacher Education. In her free time, Dr. Theriot enjoys binging a good Netflix series, spending time outdoors with her husband 25 years, and reading. All right, so with that, with all that said, uh, here is my interview with Dr. Jenny Theriot. I hope you all enjoy. Jenny, thank you for joining us here on the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy podcast. So let's start with this. How did you get interested in this topic of academic reading lives of college students? Well, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, it really kind of started when I began teaching college students, which was about 12 years ago. I was teaching a required college student success course at a local community college, and I just assumed that students would automatically read what I had assigned uh, and that the importance of reading for learning would be something that students would understand and embrace, probably because that's my personal view and experience. Um, and I quickly discovered that that wasn't the case. I was noticing students weren't reading and I was pretty floored as well as frustrated. And at first I thought it was a motivation issue. So again, I was assuming that if students weren't doing the reading, it must be because they weren't motivated to do it. They maybe didn't see the importance or the value. And at the same time, I started my graduate work and started reading literature on compliance with academic reading in college. And for those who work in this field, it's now spoiler alert that the, um, the research says that students often don't comply with academic uh, reading in college. So I wasn't the only one who was experiencing this, um, but I wanted to understand how and why this phenomenon existed, uh, particularly because as a learner myself, I always considered reading a crucial aspect of learning. And so just kind of assumed that that same approach to reading would be taken up by my students. And I remember a light bulb moment that came on when I encountered the concept of epistemological beliefs. First, it took me a good couple of weeks to be able to pronounce that. <laughs> um, and epistemic beliefs and this whole idea that beliefs influence approaches to reading and learning. So let me just say epistemology for those who maybe aren't familiar with it, study of how um, someone comes to know the theories and beliefs that they hold about knowing. And epistemic beliefs are considered a form of that personal epistemology. So they're individual, individuals' beliefs about two things. First, the nature of knowledge. In other words, uh, beliefs about what knowledge actually is. And then second, the nature of knowing or how someone comes to know or how knowledge is acquired. So these ideas were really resonating with me as I was trying to contextualize how do college students understand the nature and value of academic reading and had me consider, well, maybe this isn't really a motivation issue, but more of a difference in beliefs about what reading is. Oh, uh, that's, Jenny, that's a really long answer, but that's, 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 uh, that's good because that touches on, I think, not just at the college level, which I've experienced that too, lack of kids reading. Uh, students reading, but also, I mean, certainly at the secondary level, um, t teachers across the board, across the disciplines have struggled with getting their students to read. And I think the quick answer is always, oh, they're just not motivated mm -hmm. um, to read. I think that's that's the easy answer, though, you know, one would argue there's no easy solutions there. Um, so so talk to, I, I know you've written about metaphors. Mm -hmm. uh, can, can you talk to us about how um, how metaphors, how we can use metaphors to kind of help us understand uh, what you were talking about? 
Yeah. So when thinking about metaphors, I'm talking through the lens of Lakoff and Johnson, who talk about metaphors not just being a matter of language, but really the way that people think and they act um, is metaphorically structured. So metaphors can really get at those underlying beliefs or thoughts. Uh, They can help describe a concept, especially something that's fairly abstract or intangible. And academic reading is one of those abstract, intangible concepts. Uh, There's really no agreed upon definition of what it is, how it should be done. Um, We also can't see it. It's largely invisible. Uh, There are varied reasons why people do it. So metaphors, um, when you look at trying to describe something in comparison to another. It's really taking something that's more concrete and comparing it to something that's less concrete or abstract. So let me give you an example from um, one of my research participants. Uh, I had prompted my research participants to fill in a STEM prompt. Academic reading in college is like blank because blank. And the student said academic reading in college is like drinking water because it's instrumental to learning in college and drinking water is instrumental to surviving. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I mean, full disclosure, I did my dissertation work on the reading habits of English teachers and I didn't even prompt them with these metaphor questions, but just in describing their reading, Mm -hmm. I found them continually falling back on metaphors whether it was a stroll in the park, whether it was whatever it was, they repeatedly fell back because it can be a little bit challenging to mm-hmm. describe one's reading experience. And this is specifically, um, you're, you're, you're talking here specifically also about academic reading as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that might take on a different metaphor than, than pleasure reading, perhaps. Right. Yeah. Are, do you think as we think about these metaphors, um, how, how, do students employ them and, and do, do they employ, employ them in, in specifically in specific ways that are harmful or ways that are helpful or is there no, or is it a mixed here? So I think, uh, well, first I'll, I'll say it's important not to make assumptions about metaphors. So that specific mm. example I gave, just looking at that metaphor, I thought, oh, wow, this student is really a fan of reading, you know, really sees the yeah. value and, and must like approach it with open arms. And I did interview um, a handful of students, this being one of them, and she explained, uh, I'm a dancer, I need to be hydrated, but I hate water. Mm. And so it was like, oh, wow, okay, so that's a different view <laughs> that I was you know, originally thinking. Um, but I think what is ultimately helpful uh, for both students and for educators is to get a general sense of these beliefs and views, values that students associate with reading. Um, Because I don't know that we as educators always think about what ideas do we bring to our teaching and our practices about what reading is and how it happens, what are the purposes. Um, And I certainly never experienced in, you know, my uh, life as a student being prompted to think about what I thought about reading or, you know, where its purpose or values were. So I think metaphors ultimately are a tool that can be used to really help um, just prompt that reflection. And I'd, I'd say using a metaphor to talk about metaphors, uh, <laughs> <that> <laughs> metaphors can be like an iceberg. You see part of it, but there's definitely much more to it that you really have to kind of get at those underlying uh, beliefs. Right, which in a good example, that is the metaphor you use about drinking water, because that iceberg can be a little bit deceiving as, at first as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we don't, and, and you, and I think you're right, that educators don't, and maybe and maybe we should, and we can talk about this late, late, later, explicitly talk about kind of what we do when we're reading and uh, mm-hmm. explicitly give students metaphors that are helpful. But um, do we unintentionally or intentionally, um, you think, reinforce something like they have, they come into our classroom with these beliefs, mm-hmm. but they didn't come from nowhere, right? Like they, right. these beliefs come from somewhere. And I think some of it is from the education system. So how do educators play a role in in re- reinforcing or kind of pushing it back against some of these me- metaphors that they use? 
Well, I think you're you're completely right that students are coming into whatever grade level uh, with you know some some underlying beliefs, um, and that the way that reading is presented to them can either reinforce those beliefs or maybe challenge them. Mm-hmm. So if um, if a student thinks that reading is really a product, it's something that I need to check off. You know, I need to complete it. Uh, maybe it leads to answering some questions or being able to do something else versus reading as a process in which I am interacting actively with the text. Uh, those two approaches are very different and research shows that that transactional nature of reading the process piece of it is where that you know deeper learning comes from you get past surface level understanding and so just how um, faculty and teachers present reading assignments how often do you see just in a syllabus schedule the assignment is read chapter five Mm-hmm. But what does that mean and why? Yeah, and it's as if too, and they see that across di- disciplines as well, right? Like that reading chapter five is the same in my education course as as it is in the science class you're taking, as it is in the math course. And we know like our reading purposes change with each of those readings. And as as readers, I'm reading those three texts differently depending on Mm-hmm. kind of who I am and the purpose of the task. And I mean, I want my students in education classes to read these academic articles in a different way than maybe they're reading, you know, my English students are reading The Great Gatsby, right? I want them to to mm-hmm. read it differently, looking for um, practical things they can bring into their classroom um, by reading these articles. Uh, so, but yeah, but, but I think educators don't often do a really good job of explaining the purpose, right? We mm-hmm. are quick to assume, right, reading is reading, yeah. And so we just assign chapter five and assume they'll get at it, get out of it what we want them to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can we do as educators to help students to do better than just saying read chapter five? How can we kind of guide and focus their reading purposes? Well, first, I think as educators, we need to reflect on what is the purpose for us assigning a reading mm-hmm. ask. Um you know, is it just, well, I have this textbook that is associated with my course, so sure, I should assign some chapters. Or is it, okay, I know that if students don't read uh, this chapter before our lecture, they're going to think that I'm speaking a different language because they have absolutely no background information. So is the purpose just to kind of whet their appetite, give them some some language to uh to recognize and to follow up, uh, you know, questions that they might have had while reading, is the purpose to prepare for a writing assignment because how you read that is going to be different than if it's uh, you're preparing for a quiz that you're going to take, um, and and really just being explicit about this is what I'm asking you to do, uh, this is why I'm asking you to do it, and talking about. Um, really suggestions for how we as faculty members or you know a, an expert in a particular discipline how do we approach these reading assignments tasks so i like to say to my students the first time i read this chapter that i'm assigning to you because um, you are going to have a written reflection that you'll need to be doing and um, there's so much information in the text that I won't be able to talk about in class, I like to tell them it took me two hours to read this chapter. So I would suggest to you that because you have a week to read it, that you break it up into these four sections, don't do it all at once. Some of the things that maybe we look at as, well, isn't that common sense or just good you know, time management and strategy, but students aren't often instructed how to do that. Mm. Jenny, I saw an article recently about you know, kind of best early literacy practices. And one of the things on there was to do read-alouds with young readers. And I thought um, that read-alouds, I remember being a doctoral student and having a professor read-aloud. Um, it was the opening of a book, a, a research book. And and then as she read, she kind of stopped and shared kind of her thoughts on each of the. And it was like getting an insight into kind of this expert reader reading this text 
Um, and it was so insightful for me. Um, I know. I, do you have any thoughts on like reading, reading aloud and not, not just at an elementary level, but even at a, to college students to talk about kind of, this is how I read and this is my thought process when I'm reading. Absolutely. Um, I, I taught a college uh, reading class that focused on, you know, really developing reading stamina, which I think is also a huge mm. uh, piece of this puzzle that, you know, if you think about reading as maybe a, a muscle that if we don't, if we're not practicing it, if we're not using it, then it's hard to, to do more and more of it. Um, and I, we find ourselves, I think, in these kind of catch-22 situations in education where we want to make sure students get the content and they're not reading. So how do we go around that? We'll, we'll, you know, we'll present the information via PowerPoint or we'll give an outline that kind of leads the answers. Um, but actually spending time doing uh, really a, a think aloud. There's a think aloud methodology uh, that I've used not only in teaching, but in some research that I've done where it really does help get at those kind of internal uh, thinking processes and just hearing someone else's thoughts and kind of the that whole transactional piece of it. Uh, Louise Rosenblatt talks about mm -hmm. uh, the transactional nature of reading, kind of this back and forth. And I think often students have been kind of conditioned to think of reading as my eyes are going over the words and I'm getting through it. But when they see someone stopping and asking questions or picturing something in their mind or connecting it to something else, it really paints a picture of this process. Yeah. I want to go back to Rosenblatt's transactional theory of reading in a second, but um, you talk, can we, can we go back to the statement about reading as compliance? Cause I think that's what you're talking about. Just following the, the words. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's what the result of just assigning chapter five is where we get to reading compliance mm -hmm. um, because they're kind of reading without purpose. So um, can you kind of redefine for me what reading compliance is and kind of what it looks like with, with students? And then um, how, how, do, how does this impact kind of how we assign reading? You talked about get, like get, uh, providing a purpose for the reading. Is there anything else we can do to kind of combat reading compliance? But first, can you define it and kind of give an example for us? So I, I think what's complicated is that... Um, compliance can be defined differently. Mm -hmm. um, and there can kind of be some assumptions about what compliance is. So is compliance physically running your eyes over the pages? Is compliance doing enough so that you can answer the questions or take what you need to, you know, write a, a paper? Um, and I think when reading is presented as something that either you do or don't do, it really becomes a, a compliance issue. Yeah, I guess in my mind, I think of like I immediately, my mind just immediately goes to reading quizzes, right? Like and, right. and very kind of surface level. Mm -hmm. um, what did the author talk about on page seven? Very surface level reading questions as kind of this reading compliance. As a former English teacher, you see that all the time, like, what mm -hmm. character did this? Like very much just checking to see if you kind of read. Right. Which that begs the question, are you really testing for compliance or are you testing reading comprehension? Because maybe someone did quote comply and read whatever was assigned, but maybe they didn't understand it. Yeah. So they were compliant, but they didn't understand. And that's, I think, ultimately where it keeps coming back to is this focus on comprehension. So providing um, really more purposeful reading assignments that can help prepare students to think about the reading as they're doing it, to prepare for discussions in class. Um, and I am a full-fledged metaphor geek. Um, <laughs> I, I talk in metaphors. I love metaphors. Um, so, of course, I am going to support the notion of using metaphors as a tool to try to explain to students purposes and experiences they might have with reading. So, um, often I think students 
have this idea that there's a quote right way to read something or there's a correct answer that needs to be found. Um, so just saying to students like this reading assignment is going to be like painting a picture because even though everyone is reading the same piece, all of the interpretations are going to be unique. It's going to be the same content, but it's going to look different. Um, helping just get at that transactional nature. Yeah, and I think that metaphor is also feels very approachable for students. Anyone can participate on this interpretation, right? You don't have to be, mm -hmm. you don't have to study the, the life of the artist to have a, a say in what you think this painting means. Um, so I like that. I think, I mean, if, if I were to, pull my students. I, it just seems like a lot of the metaphors, and not just metaphors, but descriptions that are associated with reading among young people, and maybe adults too, I don't know, are are negative, right? I think of reading, uh, something I hear a lot, reading is boring. Mm -hmm. Reading is work. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the reading is water is a good one, like drinking water, which is turned out to be negative as well. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to be this kind of built-in negative association um, and negative metaphors used to describe reading experiences. So the the other thing I like about that, and I think um, maybe there's ways for teachers to embed more positive um, met metaphors, like reading more as exploration, mm -hmm. um, and, and kind of fight back against the negative notions of reading with more positive images for the reading. Well, and I think that there is often a, a lack of embracing productive struggle or normalizing that there, there is and should be productive struggle. I mean, that's where learning happens is when you're being stretched and when you're feeling out of your comfort zone. And so back to that think aloud, uh, you know, reading aloud and, and voicing the process in your head. Like I might read a word. I just read a book um, called Reader Come Home that has some vocabulary in it that I had to stop and look up what these words meant. Um, that's okay. You know, if I was to try to dig into tax code or some science uh, topic, I would need some support with reading because it, it'd be like reading a different language. And so I think there's, there's a perception often from students that learning should be fast. It should be easy. It shouldn't be something that they struggle with. And I think that carries over to reading. And I would say the opposite. Teachers should explain, this is going to be a hard reading. You know, I assign uh, my pre-service teachers a research article. And I say, this has quantitative results in it. You're going to feel like you're reading a foreign language. Totally fine. Stick with it. Keep going. Get to the discussion. It's going to be a little bit easier. But you know, it, it's okay, because I think sometimes when uh, students reach that part where they're like, I'm not understanding this, this is difficult, they tend to want to shut down or leave the experience itself. Yeah, I think that's great, because not all reading is the same, right? And when we talk about reading purposes, also, the mm -hmm. type of text they read require different kind of levels of of engagement with it. Um, I think I was thinking about this recently with talking to some of my students who are writing a paper. And my, I think as, again, former high school English teacher, sometimes we do a disservice to students in the writing field by telling them, hey, you can sit here in one class period and write a five paragraph essay that's good and turn it in. Mm -hmm. And now that I've gotten to like the writing academically and I've been working on this one academic paper the entire semester, <laughs> spending hours on it and hours on it and hours on it, I think back like, how did I, why did I expect kids to produce great work in you know a 55 minute class period like what was i thinking right and so I, I think we train students sometimes to to want to do things quickly and we don't um mm -hmm. tell students it's okay to sit with one page for 30 minutes and just kind of try to figure it out like that's okay yep yep uh a couple of times as you've been talking, I've thought about uh, one of the best questions I ever got from a student the very first day of class, college reading course, um, and student said, so what are you wanting us to take away from this class? Thought, wow, that's a that's pretty a interesting question. question. <laughs> and my answer was, reading is not reading is not reading. And of course, the student was kind of like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but you know, that class in particular, we were looking at you know, disciplinary literacies and how reading in different disciplines 
thinking, writing, speaking is all very nuanced uh, based mm-hmm. on what's valued in that discipline. And just trying to help students realize kind of what you've said, that not all reading is the same. And if the experience coming from K-12 has been, all right, maybe I have to read a very little bit or I'm not expected to read anything. And now I'm in a college environment where that's where the majority of information is coming from. It's a huge learning curve that students aren't really prepared to make that jump. Yeah. And I think as college educators, I think we do a better job helping and preparing students for the jump they're about to make or that they're currently making. Um, So we talked about kind of being honest with students. Um, We talked about kind of preparing them. Um, How how else can we encourage our students and ourselves to kind of navigate texts that we find challenging? Well, I think that really just comes back to that idea of um, stamina, you know, stick it with itness, mm-hmm. uh, perseverance, productive struggle. Um, I like to show a picture that says what people think learning is, and it's just kind of this steady line that's going up. And then the next picture is like what it actually looks like, and it's just this squiggly line that's all over the place, up, down, all over. And I, th- I think ultimately just normalizing that reading and learning, they're both processes, they take time. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it takes a little longer um, and that that's all very normal. Um, I often say, you know, you look at a college campus and there are typically math centers. You know, you need help with math. People are quick to say, oh, I'm not a math person and they'll go get math help. There are writing centers. People will say, oh man, I really struggle with writing. There aren't reading centers. No one Mm. is willing to say, man, I really struggle with reading. Mm. Um, And so I think normalizing it is really important. Yeah. And I like this idea of of reading as a process. I think there's, because I think there's this notion, right? And and maybe we reinforce it with reading levels and Lexile scores that once we get to a certain point, okay, I know how to read now. (laughs) And and even for me, like there's articles and texts I struggle a lot with. Um, And so I think this idea that you're going to wake up one day and boom, I know how to read now. That's not how it works. And I think your, your reading center, that's a lack of reading centers, is, is a really good point about how maybe we, we don't acknowledge that, re, that this process of, of becoming a better reader is an ongoing, continual thing. It's a good point. Yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Patricia Alexander's uh, literacy as lifelong development? She talks about it being from womb to tomb. And I absolutely love that because... That's the work that I've done with students, you know, whether teaching in an elementary uh, classroom with reading or working with adults who are earning their GED or college students. Um, We're all a work in progress. We're always learning. And reading is very developmental, you know, depending on the context, depending on your experience. um, Sometimes we need supports to help us make sense of things. Yeah, no, I haven't heard of that, and but I wrote it down. So now I will look into that and um, let me name drop now too. Let's just take turns real quick. Um, that reminds me of Robert Scholl, who talks a lot about English teachers, and he talks about the the state of becoming an English teacher. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. we think, oh, I graduate college, I'm an English teacher now, but no, like you are still learning and becoming this thing mm-hmm. throughout your career. I think the same thing with reading; like we are always in this state and process of becoming that. Uh, let's go back to to Rosenblatt and the transactional theory of reading. Um, how can that kind of having students embrace kind of reading as a process and having them embrace kind of transacting with the text, how can that help them navigate challenging texts? So I think one like, you know, application of that transactional uh, nature of reading is just taking some time in class to have students do a think aloud with a partner you know, have them start reading whatever it is, an assigned chapter, maybe an article, and doing that process we talked about where they're stopping and they're they're talking about connections and questions and helping each other make sense of things. Um, 
having those assignments where they're asked to identify, you know, some important pieces, maybe some questions that they have, uh, some connections, you know, having there be an actual tangible uh, thing that goes along with a reading assignment, mm-hmm. I think is helpful. Again, I don't love the idea of having it be a quiz or something that really kind of gets back at more of that. I'm trying to catch you or, you know, (laughs) I want to see if you've complied. But I do also understand that college students are busy. I mean, as professionals, we're, we're busy. So there are times when maybe we don't have the time to read or don't have the mind (laughs) space for reading. Um, But that just knowing that there are some um, some processes that you can use, taking notes, you know, asking questions. I like to just call it talk back to the text or talk back to the author. You know, what are you thinking as you're reading something? Are you thinking, I don't know if I agree with this person. Um, that in and of itself is thinking critically and really um, thinking about what you're reading versus just having those words pass through. Yeah, I like that idea of reading as conversation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think the reading purpose, you need some context and some kind of direction in the conversation, right? Because you just, we don't walk up to people and just dive right into a deep conversation. Like you need, sometimes you need some kind of purpose on where is this direction? Where is this conversation going? Yeah. Um, So I really like that idea of talking about the text. I remember um, before I became even familiar with the work of Rosenblatt, in grad school. And then I read her work. I was like, that's what I'm doing. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I remember in grad school to get me through my, with my master's, I was reading for the first time, some really challenging stuff that I really had a hard time understanding. And then I find myself like the way I would cope with it is I would do the annotations, but I would be very playful with the annotations. So I would like in the margins, Mm -hmm. I would write jokes, I would be sarcastic. Mm -hmm. um, And I would just kind of go kind of over the top with some of my comments. And that had the kind of the dual purpose of keeping me um, engaged with the text as I was mm-hmm. kind of common and back and forth on the on the author. Um, and it also, I didn't realize it, I wouldn't really call it this, at, at the time, but it was encouraging this idea of reading as conversation, reading as a transaction between mm-hmm. the, the text and myself. And then it became kind of more purposeful and all that stuff when I started kind of taking those notes and, and transacting with it. Um, but before you respond to that, I, I do think with annotations, um, speaking as a former language teacher, um, I think sometimes people look at annotations as sucking the life out of reading and the joy, any joy that could be gained. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've turned, and my complaint is, and I'm, I, my complaint is I'm guilty of this on my board. I remember having like first read, summarize, second read, underline symbols, Third read, circle, original, not like it was the, the standardized right. annotation taking away any freedom of like individualized conversation mm-hmm. and turning into the standardized thing. Um, so what are your thoughts on, on kind of all that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's this fine balance. It's like we're walking this balance beam between you know, we want there to be perhaps something in place to give um, that reading a purpose if the student doesn't have that internal, you know, purpose of, oh, I want, I want to learn this information. Um, perhaps it's, well, I know I need to read this because I've got this next, you know, paper I'm going to have to write about this, or we're going to have a discussion in class. Um, but kind of having those supports built in, but then not making it so standardized and so, maybe um what's the word I'm looking for I can't think of it yeah but yeah yeah I, I, but I, I mean I get the I because listen there's a reason you want kids and annotate right we want to follow their thinking we want to see what their kind of where their minds at we want to make sure they're getting out of the text what we want them to get out of right um, and how to also but how to not make that a standardized thing how do we individualize those annotations, I feel like is the tough balance. And how do you, um, and that's kind of talking about also kind of being, I was reading an article today about um, playful pedagogies Mm. and kind of being playful with learning, which I thought was a great idea. And I think Mm -hmm. we're sometimes much too serious in education and and we can have some enjoyment and joy of learning and have some fun here. And I think annotations are a place where 
where we can have fun in the margins, right? We can have fun with these conversations. Um, though, with that said, I don't really know how to explicitly teach that. <laughs> That's right. kind of the challenge. And I think sometimes students push back with like, well, why do I have to take the time to write down something? You know, yeah. can't I just read? Um, but ultimately, we can't see that reading. And so what can we see? We can see a written response or we can see explanation or connections. And I think that's also what makes reading complicated is that it's so personal and mm. it's abstract and invisible. And, you know, we don't often make it clear and explicit. Um, I don't know that as a field, we even know exactly what it is. Um, and you, you talked about the kind of that switch from, well, now you're a reader, so you should be able to read. You know, we've often talked about K3 being reading, teaching to read. And then once you get through that, it's reading to learn. And I would yeah. say, ultimately, we're always reading to learn and we're always learning how to read. Mm -hmm. What we're reading might be different. Um, so yeah, it's a real balancing act to, you know, kind of make a case uh, for students to, to find or make the time. Um, one thing that I found fascinating with my dissertation research is that even with the metaphors that I collected, there was this theme of compliance that kept coming through. Mm -hmm. Like, this is something I'm obligated to do. It's something I need to do in order to survive. And I thought, well, why am I seeing this notion that reading needs to happen, but yet it's not happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It just seems like it's this paradox or oxymoron. Yeah, it's it's but, drinking water, but you're not drinking it. <laughs> right, right. Like, I know I need to drink it, but I don't like it. Like, okay, but what does that mean? Um, but I, and I think another thing that came out in those metaphors was that students might be just really tentative about and apprehensive about how do I approach reading in this class or mm. in college. Um, so a lot of metaphors were, you know, like, it, it's like, driving in a rainstorm because I can't see where I'm going, or it's um, driving to a museum or climbing a hill. Uh, you know, there's just these unknowns and there are these yeah. struggles, but a sense of it's worth it in the end. Um, so I think, I think inherently students do want uh to quote, do the reading, I think they just might not quite know what that looks like or how to do it, or when it's not being explicitly expected, it might be the first thing that falls off when they're trying to balance two jobs, five courses, a family. Um, so uh, that leads me back to kind of how we started talking about, you know, what is the purpose of a reading assignment? Hopefully it's not just to assign it, Hopefully there is, you know, yeah. a real valid purpose. And I think if educators can be clear about what that purpose is to themselves and then communicate that to students, I think students want to do it. Um, and we just need to provide the tools and strategies for doing so. Yeah. And I think that gets back to your ultimate kind of the original concern here was motivation, right? And, and part mm -hmm. of that motivation then is a history of reading for compliance, a history of, of reading without purpose, a history of reading just to kind of push that boulder up the hill or just because mm -hmm. it was required, but mm -hmm. not a reading of kind of authentic interaction with text, not a reading of a purposeful reading to be applied in, in some very real specific way, mm -hmm. um, just reading for a quiz or reading for, for compliance. And then eventually that kind of contributes to a lack of motivation to read at all. Is that, is that accurate or no? So I, I like to stay away from calling it motivation, even okay. though that was my first, you know, that was my <laughs> initial reaction. Um, I think that's why I like coming back to this epistemology, you know, epistemology of text and mm -hmm. epistemic beliefs, because I think what a student or person um views reading to be is going to 
influence how they approach it. And I mean, that's founded in the literature. So beliefs influence approaches. So if a student believes that reading is a product, it's something that they do in order to complete it, they might be doing that. But what does that mean? So one of my participants talked about, well, I'm not going to read anything more than what I have to to answer these questions. I'm getting done what they want me to do. Um, So again, that gets back to that balance of, you know, are, are we trying to get students to understand that reading is a way that we can construct and acquire knowledge and it is a process that takes time and effort um, because if we're not, then I think we are just kind of continuing that history of, all right, this is what I do because I have to or I don't do it because I don't have to. Yep. Let me skim it through, hunt for the answers I need, and yes. then move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah. So getting our, our students to look at reading more as a process um, than as a product. And I think all the things we talked about here is kind of reading as mm-hmm. um, a, a transaction, um, reading with with purpose, um, preparing students for that, being honest with them about things that are more challenging. Mm-hmm. I think all of that kind of helps students to kind of prepare for kind of reading as a process. Um, So yeah, I like that. Um, I had uh, throughout my teaching uh, of college students, this phrase kept coming up, actually have to read. And mm. that just the thought of, what do you mean actually having to read? Um, You know, that's where it, I I could tell that there was a different perception of what the purpose of reading was. And that was another thing that really started me thinking about, well, what is it that students believe reading to be? What kind of, you know, values do they associate with it? What are the different purposes? Um, And unfortunately, and fortunately, fortunately, reading is a very complex construct. And so to to try to really simplify, you know, how we teach it or how we encourage students to do it. That doesn't work. There are no <laughs> yeah. easy answers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, I mean, every, I think every educator has heard that phrase before. Uh, this is something I actually have to read um, or do I actually have to read this? Some variation of that phrase. Yeah. Uh-huh. And usually, and uh, usually it's in the context of, of assessment, right? Like this mm-hmm. is, do, do I actually have to read this because this will be kind of directly assessed in some way, right. which again goes back to that earlier discussion about compliance and not really reading for the process. Yep. Uh, Jenny, this has been a really good conversation. Are there any other, before we get out of here, other kind of words of advice for educators as they go about um, teaching text with their students? Just keep promoting that, that process, that productive struggle, uh, the idea of stamina, you know, we're really good to say, hey, if you're going to do a 5K, do a couch to 5K app and little by little build your endurance. Same with reading, you know, and support students, especially as they're transitioning from high school to college and having a better sense of what's going to be expected and how they can meet those demands. I like how you closed reading as a 5K, another metaphor in there. Sneak one more <laughs> metaphor in there before we get out of here. Well played. Um, yes. <laughs> but are there um, any other projects you're currently working on or um, how can people, this is kind of a two-part question, what projects are you currently working on um, and where can people follow your work and, and, and read your work? All right. So first answer, um, I'm working on a couple different things. One is um, a survey of surveys looking at the history of college reading and study skills programs, um, specifically back in uh, the pre-GI Bill era. Um, And so that's something that's always interested me too, is this perception that I know I had going in teaching college was, oh my goodness, like there, there are some students that really need help here. And man, this must be a new phenomenon. Um, again, mm-hmm. because I didn't struggle with reading, it just seemed like, well, of course. Um, but 
there is a, a rich history of college students needing support. I mean, it started back in Harvard in the early mm-hmm. 1900s. Um, so working on that manuscript, and then I'm also working on um, a study where we're looking at our pre-service teachers' perceptions of what comprehensive reading instruction is and their feelings of preparedness to engage in it once they get into a classroom. So those two pieces kind of still with, you know, mm-hmm. my interest in college reading. And um, but yet now that I work with pre-service teachers, now I'm looking at instead of the student, I'm looking at, well, how can I help prepare teachers to be thinking of this idea of comprehensive reading instruction and the complexity of reading and and what's involved there. Yeah, because I think these struggles with that you've we've talked about here with college students are are struggles that are similar to, to high schoolers. And I think teachers can have a lot to say about kind of helping prepare students, even mm-hmm. at that level, to start, you know, preparing them for reading these challenging texts. Yeah, I think ultimately we have to work a, across K-16. You know, it's mm-hmm. not a blame game of you didn't prepare them or you're expecting too much. Uh, it's ultimately we we're all in it to work together to you know help students learn and being able to read and think critically and understand is a huge piece of that. Absolutely. So where can people follow your your work? You can follow me on researchgate.net. Uh, that would be under Jennifer C. Theriault, T H E R I A U L T. I'm also on academia.edu and LinkedIn. All right. Very good. Well, Dr. Jenny Theriot, thank you so much for spending the time and talking about kind of the reading lives of our students. That's a very important conversation. And uh, thank you very much for having it. Well, thank you for having me. I've enjoyed it.